while the kids are still heading out, why don't you have a bit of a think about the cheesiest 90s movie that you uh, remember. Maybe one of those ones that was so bad that you just like to just sort of keep going back and watching it, bit of a bit of a cult favourite. Cheesy action movies from the 90s. Action movies. Oh, cheesy 90s movies. A lot of them were action movies in the 90s, weren't they? And then there was all those sort of um, romantic comedies that Tom Hanks was in. He was like the, the master of romantic comedy male leads in the 90s. What are some of your favourites from the 90s? Notting Hill. Notting Hill. Okay. Notting Hill. Three Amigos. Three, three Amigos. 90s? Rightio. You watched it in the 90s, maybe. Anybody else? Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. What was that one? Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. A bit of a favourite, wasn't it? Yeah. Last Action Hero. Last Action Hero. There's a heap of, I mean, 90s films. There's a lot of things about the 90s that would be worth just a sort of forgetting about, really. But one of the things that I remember about the 90s, particularly with action films in the 90s, there was this really sort of cliched uh, Cold War type carryover into the action film. And there was always that scene, wasn't there, where the hero or the villain, depending on what type of film it was, had to go into the launch room. You know, there was some rocket, some bomb, something that was going to happen. And there was the two keys. Do you remember that? Like, and they were always just out, out of arm's length. One key had to go in there, one key and had to go over there. They both had to be turned at the same time. Someone had to push a button. And there was always someone trying to... Uh, you know, do it on their own. They'd stolen the keys or something, they got one in here, they're trying to get the one over there. Both of them had to be in. It was, a, it was the fail-safe. Um, they were pretty cheesy films. But the, the idea of two keys is what I want you to think about this morning for a moment. Um, two keys that, that need to be there for something to work. If only one of them's there, then I think we're going to find that we're not going to really be able to accomplish what I think God has in mind for us. But to do that, I want to read first from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're up in our series through 1 Corinthians. And we're just going to finish off the chapter today. So we're going to read from verse 19 down to verse 27. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. And um, as is sometimes my habit and I'd love it if you could stand up. If you're able to stand with us this morning, then please, once you've found uh, the passage, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, stand up and we'll read it together. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body 
and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is God's word. Why don't you take a seat? Let's pray and ask him to help us as we reflect on it. Lord, thank you for speaking. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being present amongst your people as we've worshipped, sung, prayed, remembered. And Lord, now as you are present with us through your word, Lord, minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to give you right from the very outset the big idea. Um, the big idea of where we're going today, and I'm going to give you a, a phrase, I'll put it up on the board if you can read it. Um, and if you're a writing down person, uh, this is sort of the, the big idea of where we're going to centre our thinking this morning. To live a lifestyle of gospel intentionality, you need A, the flexibility to adjust your approach to the people you are relating to, and B, the focus required to not lose sight of the goal. Right, that's our big idea. That's how we're going to sort of try and center our thinking from this passage this morning. It's what I think Paul's talking about. Now, you might wonder, well, Chris, how did you come up with what the big idea of the passage is, right? Um, do you just make it up? Well, I, they're my words. They're not out of the Bible. But in that sense, yes, made it up. But what I want to do briefly is just give you a bit of a quick insight into my um, process as to how I come up with a big idea, all right? Uh, not because my process is special by any means, it's not, but because I want you to be confident that this big idea springs directly from the Bible and not just from something clever that I tried to do. So I'm going to show you how I got to this. I would say that every, every time, every time without fail that I preach, I have at least three goals. First is to make clear whatever the particular passage is that I'm going to be preaching from. That's my first goal. I want to make that clear so that those that are listening get a sense of what God is saying through it. The second goal that I always have is to proclaim the good news of grace found in Jesus Christ alone. Without fail, I want to sit down after preaching and go, that, that was present somewhere, all right? And the third thing that I always want to do is I want to build your confidence in the sufficiency of Scripture. I want you to be able to walk away and say, my Bible is trustworthy. God speaks through it. Not, not what Chris said or Tim or Aaron or Luke or Matt or whoever else was preaching up that Sunday, but my Bible says, God says, all right? So that's what I want you to be confident in. So to do that, with that third goal in mind, I want you to show you a Bible arc, all right? This is just a process, something that I do, all right? So... Um, do you want to put that first one on? That will make no sense to you, probably. It might look confusing. You probably can't even read all the words because I had to sort of shrink it down so it would all fit on one page. The details don't matter for the moment. I want to show you a tool that I probably began using maybe about 10 years ago or probably a bit over. I absolutely love it, all right? You might think it looks confusing, but what you're looking at is the end result. Um, the process is much simpler than this looks, and it's called Bible arcing, and it helps you break down a passage into its sort of smallest grammatical components, and then piece it all back together again with sort of relationships, how each part relates to the parts around it, and it visually shows you um, how those relationships work through various colours and codes and things like that, okay? So it looks a bit confusing. I've got to admit, I kind of geek out over this stuff a little bit. I love it. I occasionally go into Tim and go, Tim, oh, look at this beautiful Bible. And he's like, oh, that's fantastic, Chris. That's good stuff, you know? And he con condescendingly listens to me. And No, no, that's not true. He's, he really does. We have some great discussions based around it, okay? But I do. I do geek out of this stuff. I don't expect that everyone needs to be able to do this sort of thing. But I wanted to show you where this morning, I, I Bible arced my way through this passage like I often do. Um, so I want to show you 
the, the second slide. There's a second slide there. I'm just going to put a big red arrow. You probably can't see it. But right in the middle of that uh, slide, there's just a single little part and then it's connected on either side to two big sort of groups in this passage. Verse 23 is the, is the verse that it's actually looking at and it has what's called a bilateral relationship. The, the name doesn't matter very much. Basically what it means is verse 23 in this passage acts like a pivot point that has one hand back into the verses that were in front of it and another hand into the verses that follow it and it holds the whole thing together. All right? That's the way verse 23 works in this passage. So verses 17 in particular, up down to verse 22, that all holds together. And then verses 24 down to verse 27, that all holds together as a big group. And right in the middle is verse 23. Neither passage, neither part of this passage can really be understood without taking into context or without taking into account how verse 23 works in holding the whole thing together. Verse 23 is our guide. So we're going to look at it a bit more closely in a moment, uh, but I, I want to just point out one more observation from this chart. So there's a third slide that you can have a look at. Um, just circled it so you can see it really clearly. We're going to look at the verse uh, a, a lot more closely in a moment. Um, but verse 23 itself can be broken down into two parts. You can have a look at it in your Bible so that you can read the words properly if you can't see them on the screen. Uh, verse 23 itself can be broken into two parts and those two parts are connected by what's called a action-purpose relationship. There's an action and why that action exists, a purpose. All right? It means that one part of verse 23 describes an action and the other part of verse 23 describes what that action exists for or what is its purpose. So what I want to do before we go anywhere else with this passage is verse 23 is really important. So let's have a closer look at it and because I think it forms what's called what I'm going to call the central concept, all right? It's the central concept or the link that holds together the passage. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23, up on the slide there. Paul says, now I do all this because of the gospel. Now, there's the first part. I do all this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. There's verse 23, all right? You can probably see the two parts we get a little bit of a, a help in the English language at least because quite often in English there are little marks in the sentence, uh, a grammatical uh, symbol like a comma or a, you know, a full stop or something else that happens in a phrase and often they are there to give us a bit of a clue as to where the sentence breaks up a little bit and that's certainly the case in verse 23, right? The two parts of this verse are divided by the comma one bit says, now I do all of this because of the gospel. And the other part starts with, so that, there's, there's our idea that this is a purpose, why this exists for, so that I might share in the blessings. All right, first bit's the action, second bit, the purpose. And Paul says that he does all this, and we're going to have to go back into those other parts of the Bible, other parts of this passage to figure out well, what does Paul mean by all this? We'll get there in a minute. But we, he says, I do all of this because of the gospel. So, so we know right from the outset that this action that Paul's talking about, all of this, I do all of this stuff because of the gospel, we know that the good news of the grace that is found in Jesus for sinners is at the very heart of what drives Paul's lifestyle. Paul has a gospel intentionality about his life. Now that's, if you remember, part of how I phrased the big idea. A gospel intentionality. All right? Living your life intentionally fueled by the gospel of grace. And that's what Paul says he does. I do all of this because of the gospel. 
He says that his lifestyle exists also for a purpose. And the purpose here is that he will be able to share in the blessings. He says that. I do all of this because of the gospel. That's what drives me. So that, and there's the purpose, so that I might also share in the blessings. I think that's quite an interesting concept that Paul says. We often think of um, evangelism, right? We often think of evangelism. That's most simply sharing our faith with others. That might be through, um, you know, a meeting where someone gets up and says something. It could be through a special event. Uh, more, more often than not, it's sitting around a coffee table somewhere um, or over a meal in your home. It's a mixture we know of both your actions, your lifestyle, but let me tell you, you have not shared the gospel with someone until you have told them the good news. All right? But we often think of evangelism, that sharing our faith with others as a type of... Um, almost as a type of Christian duty, all right? What are the things that I need to do to be a good Christian? And we have a, usually a list of things there. One of them might be come to church, could be tithing, could be um, serving in a ministry, being on a, a roster. Um, often, somewhere deep within us, we also know, you know what, I, I really should... I really need to do more evangelism. I know I should. I, I've had people say to me over the years, oh, Chris, I, I know I should do that, but I find it so difficult. Or, or we think we need to tick it off, you know, our list of, of things that a good Christian must do. And, and if we can tick off most of those things, then we start to feel better about ourselves as a as a Christian, but Paul says that he lives this way not only because of the gospel, he says, you know, it's because of the gospel, but, but also that he can share in the blessing of the gospel. And so I think what he's saying is that the gospel is both, um, if you think about it from a tree's point of view, that the gospel is both the root and the fruit, right? It's what it's what he lives his life out of. There's the, the root of that tree. But he says the gospel is also the fruit. It's also the goal of his actions. It's something that he gets to enjoy. So the gospel isn't a duty, something to tick off our list that we have. It's something to be enjoyed. And I wonder how much that would start to transform our thinking about evangelism if we stop thinking about it as another Christian duty to do and something instead that can be enjoyed. Something that we can find a blessing of sharing in. The gospel is a blessing. It is a blessing. We know that. It's a benefit. It's a gift to enrich our lives and not only for the way that it directly impacts us but even for the way it transforms the lives of other people. Right? So as the gospel, the good news, flows from us to others, you know, it, it's sort of like that transforming water. Have you ever seen one of those documentaries, especially of sort of central western Queensland, or as the waters from the north monsoon rains slowly make their way through the, the river systems out west? And it's dry, and it's arid, and it's barren. And even weeks and months after monsoonal rains in the far north, all of a sudden, these dry riverbeds just get this trickle of water that starts to run through them. If you've ever seen those documentaries, or maybe in you know, parts of Africa which sees monsoonal rain and then dry seasons, when the rain hits, the land transforms, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it just goes from being red, dry, and bad. you think there's no life there. And then in a matter of days, a matter of even just a week or so, if you went back to visit, you would barely recognize the same place. Flowers and wildlife and green grass and birds and animals, and there's life. The water brought it. 
And this is, I think, what Paul's sort of talking about, that the gospel flows from us to others and it transforms the environment. And we get to share in that blessing. God is accomplishing something in other people. And somehow the blessing almost flows back downstream towards us and we get to enjoy it as well. And I think that's why Paul says, I do all of this because of the gospel so that I might share in the blessings. So the question we need to ask now is, what does Paul mean by all of this? What is the all of this that Paul's talking about, right? So as we look to the rest of the passage, that's where I get the two keys to a gospel lifestyle concept in our big idea. Verse 23, remember, has one hand holding on to the beginning of this passage and it has another hand holding on to the end of this passage and those two little passages contain the all of this that Paul talks about. Now, the first passage talks about flexibility and the second passage talks about focus and so they're the two keys that I want to look at. Let's take the first one in turn, flexibility. Flexibility. Let's remind ourselves again what the passage says. We're just going to read from verse 19 down to verse 22. Just follow along in your Bible. Paul says, although I'm free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. So if I was to pick a key verse from this passage, I think I've put it on the screen already. To summarise what Paul means in this little part, I'd probably pick verse 22. I've become all things to all people so that I may by every means possible save some. All right? Let's look a little bit closer to go get an idea of what he means by that though. I think to begin with... Paul makes a very general statement that helps us get an insight into his mindset, right? Verse 19 said, although, I'm very, although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. So I want you to notice three things about what Paul just said in that one sentence. Three things. Um, the first thing is identity, the second thing is lifestyle, and the third thing is purpose. And I'm just going to run through them very quickly. Identity. You can see that in that verse. I am free from all and not anyone's slave. That's a statement about his identity. Paul looks at his own life and he says, I know who I am in Christ. All right? I am free from all and I am not anyone's slave. That's his identity. That's not going to change. But look at his lifestyle. His lifestyle says, I have made myself a slave to everyone. All right? His identity hasn't changed. He knows who he is in Christ, but now he's describing the type of life that he chooses to live. I'm free in Christ, but my lifestyle is I'm going to serve and make myself a slave to everyone else. Why? Well, there's the purpose statement. In order to win more people. All right? Paul knows his identity. And then he says, but I've got this great goal in mind. I want other people to know what it means to be in love with Jesus. To experience forgiveness of sin. To experience hope beyond this life. I want other people to experience that. So he says, this is who I am. I'm free. Because if it means become a slave to everyone else so that they can experience that, then I'll do that. 
That's his lifestyle. And then Paul just simply highlights a number of different groups of people that he has been relating to. He says, I've been relating to Jewish people, people under the law, people without the law, and people that he refers to as being weak. Four different people groups. I think the Jewish people, probably the easiest for Paul to relate to because he himself was a Jewish person. So he says, um, hey, I've been, you know, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Well, he, he was a Jew by, by heritage, but what he's actually talking about is a Jewish customary way of life, right? following the Jewish commands even. And so I think that's why he starts to talk about people who are under the law. That's the Jewish people. He says, listen, I... I know I'm not under that law. I know that it doesn't bind me, but I, I will serve them. He says, they're under the law, so I'm going to become like a person who's under the law. Why? So they can be free in Christ. And then there are Gentile people that Paul served in his lifetime. They didn't have the law of Moses, and so he said, well, when I relate to them, I'll... Um, I'll become like them. They're not under the law, so I live my, my life and my lifestyle like as one who is not under the law. But of course, he reminds us, you know, but, but the law of Christ still constrains me, yeah. right? Why? So that they might know Jesus. And then to the weak, I'll become weak. If that means that they get to meet Jesus, then I will live my life weak so that they can see Jesus in me. Can you hear the flexibility that's in Paul's lifestyle? Paul is so secure in his identity in Christ that he is able to relate to each group of people in such a way that makes him seem less than he truly is even in order that he might experience the joy of the gospel flow that comes from him to them. And in doing so, he experiences the mutual blessing that that brings to both them and even to him. I was thinking about that and I was thinking about evangelism in our modern day church. I think too often our churches have offered the gospel with a prerequisite. We've offered the gospel in such a way as we've somehow communicated to people that to get Jesus, then first make sure that you clean up X, Y, and Z in your life. Look, to be sure, the gospel definitely demands a response, right? The gospel, as it goes, this this message about grace that comes from Jesus to sinners like us, it demands a response and that response is repent and believe that's the response to the gospel but it doesn't have a prerequisite there's not something that you must do first before the gospel can be applied jesus grace flows to sinners paul says even when i was an enemy of god he loved me We need flexibility in how we live a lifestyle of gospel intentionality. The gospel doesn't say, let me be as clear as I can be, the gospel does not say, come and be like us. If that's our gospel, then we've got it wrong. If we are somehow even, not the words that we say, but even just the, the attitudes that we have, or the actions that we take, if our community in Raymond Terrace Community Church, around Raymond Terrace Community Church, if this community looks at us and somehow they are hearing, come and be like them, then we've got the wrong gospel. That's not a gospel at all. The gospel does not say, come and be like us, and then you'll get Jesus. The gospel says, go, go, find your identity in Christ, serve others freely and offer Jesus. That's what the gospel says. 
Jewish people needed someone who could meet them on their own turf. People under the law needed the same. People who weren't under the law, they needed the same. Weak people, strong people, it doesn't matter. They all need someone who can meet them where they are and bring Jesus. So who are the people in your life that need Jesus? Who are the people in your life? This is not a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it out loud to me today, but I'd like you to think about it and answer it. Who are the people in your life that need Jesus? We so often hold back because we don't think we'll be impressive enough. But guess what? You don't have to be. You don't have to be. Jesus is meant to be the impressive one, not you. So maybe you're thinking, you know what, I've got this person in my life, he's a tradie. I've got tradies in my life. To the tradie, I became like a tradie in order to reach the tradies. Could you hear Paul saying that? If there was a tradie in his life, I can. What about a business owner? Maybe someone in the sporting community in your life. Maybe someone who's a farmer, they're in the agricultural industry. Maybe it's a bloke down the pub. I can, I can hear people saying to a certain degree because I can hear it in my own heart, yeah, I can do that, all right? I can do that. To the, um, to the car fanatic. To the car fanatic, I became a car fanatic in order to reach the car fanatics. And that's great. But I want you to notice something important here. Paul didn't say that to reach those under the law, he became one under the law. He said he became like one under the law. And there's a big difference there. Sometimes in our rush to reach people with Jesus, maybe to find connection points with them, the places where we can build bridges, we we lose sight of the goal. Somewhere along that path, we soon find that we just begin pursuing the same things that they are simply because we like them. They're the things that we enjoy too. And the, to the car fanatics, I became a car fanatic, ends up with a full stop after it. And we forget to keep adding in order to reach the car fanatic with the gospel. In other words, we need to be careful that we don't just reach the tradie or the guy down the pub or the business owner or the soccer mum or whoever is on that group of people in your list just because you're one of those things yourself. Maybe it's bushwalking or any other number of things that you could do in life. All right. That's the first key. We need flexibility, that's for sure. We need to think about how do we serve the people in our life? How do we go to them and not call them to be just like us? How do we enter their world? That's the flexibility. But if we're so busy just dealing with that key and we forget the second, it's not going to work. This is where we need our second key. We may end up building bridges to nowhere otherwise. Or maybe we'll spend all our energy building bridges and we never ever walk across them. Remember the goal of flexibility? You saw it in verse 22 there. I've become all things to all people. There's the flexibility. I've become all things to all people. And that's where it ends, then that's a tragedy. We have to finish that sentence so that I may by every possible means save some. So that's the first key in our central concept that we need to hold on to. Okay? Paul said, 
I do all of this. I do all of this because of the gospel that I might share in the blessings. So that's the first key. Here's the second. Focus. First one was flexibility. Second one was focus. Verse 24. Let's read it together. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one who beats the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Right? This is such an important key to a lifestyle of gospel intentionality. The first, undoubtedly, is be flexible. Think about who it is that you're seeking to reach, who it is that's in your life, and serve them. Enter their world. That's flexibility. But flexibility alone is dangerous. Right? Flexibility without focus can lead us into very dangerous waters where we so easily get swept off our feet by sin, dragged into the depths where we can't stand on our own feet. And so with flexibility, we also need to make sure that we add focus. So look at the word picture that Paul uses here. Professional athletes, right? Something about which... I know nothing in my personal experience. Professional runners, professional athletes, professional boxers. Paul uses all of this imagery here. All of these, he says, have one thing in common. Discipline and focus. Discipline and focus. An athlete trains, eats, learns practices, even develops friendships with a single-minded purpose to be the best. I know we live in an age of participation trophies. It's just the reality. I think it's sad, but it's a reality. But I can guarantee that every single athlete at the Olympic Games is, yes, glad to have just made it there. But their goal is to not get a participation trophy. Right? A professional athlete goes to the highest levels of their sport. Why? Because they want to win. They want to win. Like a Queenslander. You know, or... Uh, <laughs> got to wake you up just in case you're sleeping or something, but you with me? All right. Athletes want to win. They do. All right. We can wrap it up in all sorts of other language custom to our age that we live in, but athletes want to win. And so it's not just the event where they do the winning, is it? We know that if they're operating at a very professional level. They train. Months, months, years. They, they decide what they will eat. Everything about their lifestyle is bent towards that moment. I want to be the best in the world at this. I want to win. Paul says that we should learn from these people. Because if they can have that sort of discipline, he says, and focus to gain a reward that is temporary. It's a passing moment. It's quite fascinating to to look at documentaries. Now, I I like documentaries. Um, I watched a documentary where they were talking to Michael Jordan recently, and he was reflecting on his dominance of the era of NBA. Um, And the drive that that guy had to to achieve was just another level. Right? Even, even people in the same competition looked at him and just went, that's just crazy. This guy just had incredible drive. 
And yet, yet as he reflects back on that, there just seemed to be such a sadness about his life, about how empty it all was. What did it achieve? The money, the fame, the success. And there was such an emptiness about his, his interview that was just sad. And Paul says, listen, there's, there's a sort of transient, perishable nature to the athlete's prize. They are so driven to get it, and then they get it, and it doesn't last. It's gone again. But he says, but we have something that is imperishable. Our prize goes beyond anything that could ever happen. But if an athlete can have that type of drive to get something that just fades away, the point is, what should we be doing? All right? We have a reward in Jesus that is eternal. We have a joy in the gospel that will never fade away. And Paul says we need to focus our effort, we need to focus our energy even more than a professional athlete would because eternity is at stake here. So we have flexibility, but we also need focus. One key is great, two keys makes it work. You think about it for a moment. We've got one key over here, flexibility, but we haven't got the second, right? And we start just saying, well, I'm going to be all things to all people. And we might be doing a great job at that, but if we don't have the, the discipline that Paul's talking about, where we discipline our bodies, he says, listen, I'm not going to run aimlessly, I'm not going to be like a boxer who just beats the air. And we could put a lot of energy and effort and strategy and we could talk about it and all the sorts of things that we do about evangelism. And we could talk about serving everyone and serving people and you know, getting down to their level and being on their turf. But if we don't have that sort of focus to discipline our own selves in this walk, we can, be some, we can become so flexible that we actually lose ourselves somewhere in the middle of all that. We forget, we forget that the goal here is to save some, to bring Jesus there. And so we can join car clubs and we can go to the pub and we can be at soccer and, we, and, and all good things. I'm not saying any of those things are bad. But if we don't bring Jesus into all of that, then we're just being flexible for what? What about the other one? We've got focus, right? But we don't have flexibility. Maybe you think, well, that's the lesser of two evils, is it? Where we become so disciplined about ourselves, so focused about ourselves, so intentional about just you know, making sure that I'm, I'm going to run the race well. But these people out there that are lost, well, they've got to come to me on my terms. Which is better? I'll tell you, one without the other, it doesn't matter which one it is, they're disastrous. We need flexibility and we need focus. So here's, here's how we're going to pull it all together. I'm going to suggest you try a very practical exercise this afternoon. I'd like you to do it this afternoon simply because I know what it's like to say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that, that sounds really good. I'm going to try and do it sometime this week. Do it this afternoon. Here it is. It's practical. Number one, take a notebook, open it to a fresh page, or create a new note on your iPad or your iPhone or what other inferior device you have. <laughs> That's step one. Just simply get out a notebook. Start a new note. Here's what I want you to put on it. Step number two. Create a heading that simply says, people I know who need Jesus. All right? Write that down as a heading. People I know who need Jesus. And then I want you to write as many names as you can think of. Don't put on your list people that you don't know, right? There, but there might be people you know of, some politician, some recording artist. They need Jesus, yes, 
but I want you to write down people that you know. They must be people you already have some relationship with. Okay? What was the heading? People I know who need Jesus. People you know got on go on that list. All right? Simple enough? All right. Step three. Beside each person's name on that list, I want you to write a connection point that you have with them. In other words, how do you know them? All right? And, and maybe this might give you an idea of how you can become more like them in some way, like Paul did. To the weak, I became like the weak. To the person under the law, I became like, the, like one under the law. Just write down beside a name a connection point. How do you know this person? In what way is your relationship? What category of relationship would you put that person in, maybe? Instead of trying to think only about how to get them into your world, see if you can discover ways of entering their world. All right? That's point number three. Just write down a connection point beside each name. Step number four. Create a second heading. Create a second heading that says flexibility. All right? That's our first key, right? Flexibility. Just use that space under that heading to brainstorm and list your ideas for adjusting your lifestyle to enter their lifestyle. Now, maybe you find that hard to brainstorm it on your own. Can I suggest that when you get with your small group or your core group next time, why don't you share your list with them? Say, hey guys, I want to share you my list of the people that I know who need Jesus. Now, can you please help me brainstorm and brainstorm it together as a group? If you're not in a core group, A, join a core group. B, just get with a friend of yours from church here and say, hey, can we catch up for coffee this week and exchange lists? I want to know about the people that are on your list. I'm going to share about the people that are on my list. And can we brainstorm together ways that we could be flexible? Ways that we might be able to enter their world. All right, so that's that heading, flexibility. Then create a third heading. This one says focus. All right, so flexibility, then focus. Use that space, focus, to create a training plan for yourself. Right? Paul says, I'm going to discipline my body. He didn't talk about what he's going to do to them. He just said, I'm going to discipline my own body. I'm going to remain focused. I'm going to remain on task. This is the goal. So what will you do? Use this space to create a training plan for yourself. Here's a few questions that you might want to answer while you do that. How will you remain focused on gospel intentionality in your relationships? How will you remain focused? How will you know if you've lost track of what you're doing? All right. How will you discipline yourself to not lose track of the things that matter most? How will you know if you've become sidetracked or wading into waters too deep for you? Are there any skills that you would like to improve on in your relationship or in sharing the gospel? List them. Which other Christian friends will you ask to help hold you accountable in these relationships? Look, if you're unsure as to any of the ways that you can make a start under this heading, Come and chat with maybe someone in the pastoral team. We can tell you more about a helpful tool that we've used in the church in the past called Life to Life. It's a, you know, it's a great tool to help um, focus and discipline your efforts in thinking about relationships and the way that they're gospel-focused. Is that something simple that you think you could do this afternoon? Fresh sheet of paper? The people that I know that need Jesus, write them down. Beside their names, just, just put a little note about how you know them. What's your connection point? Then under flexibility, brainstorm as many ideas as you can. How can I adjust my lifestyle to serve 
these people so that they might know Jesus. And then focus, come up with a plan. How will I remain focused? How will I remain disciplined in my walk with Jesus, my focus on the gospel, so that I don't become sidetracked? At least make a start on that. Maybe you could sort of say, hey, I'm going to, just this afternoon, I'm going to start with the first heading. I'm going to do that. And then go from there. Right, let's wrap it up. Here's our big idea again. Remember what it was? To live a lifestyle of gospel intentionality, you need A, the flexibility to adjust your approach to the people you are relating to. And B, the focus required to not lose sight of the goal. The central concept that holds both of those keys together, remember? 1 Corinthians 9, 23. Now I do all of this. Flexibility, focus. I do all of this because of the gospel so that I might share in the blessings. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being with us in your word this morning. Lord, as a church, we want to be flexible we want to know how we can serve our community in such a way that brings Jesus to them. But Lord, help us to not lose focus. Help us to remain on track. Help us to be disciplined. Lord, we want to serve you and honour you and we want to see the gospel go out. Lord, help us to be intentional as a church and then as individuals within this church, as families. Lord, we want the same. So Lord, help us, we pray. Spirit, will you lead us and guide us? Help us to be flexible and focused. In Jesus' name, amen.